Hi everyone, I'm Susan, and this is The Darker Side of Things. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the darker side of things. Glad to be back. Um, this is going to be my fourth episode. Wow. Can't believe four episodes already. But when we reach 20, you know, then that'll be a celebration. Tonight, I'm by myself. I will be doing this solo. And what I have planned for tonight are two shorter um, episodes about uh, two women uh, with strange uh, or mysterious disappearances. Um, I was doing some research and I came across these two instant instances and thought, hey, these are these are kind of interesting and I've not heard of them before, so I uh, will bring them to you tonight and I hope you enjoy it. The first one is the mysterious death of Netta Fornario. Every once in a while, a story comes along that is so intriguing, it brings us to a point that we need to share it. The occult case of Netta Fornario is one of those cases. I found this and read it and decided that I would share. Unfortunately, the details of her case, or rather her death, they can't be substantiated, so it does make for an interesting story. In the summer of 1929, a woman named Netta Fernario left London, where she lived, to travel to Iona, a small Scottish island where folklore is very rich in its history. She was not an ordinary woman, and some would say she was eccentric. She was a member of Alpha et Omega, a splinter group of the famous Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. This group was rich in occult practices, which were ritual magic, magic, tarot cards, mysticism, and a solid belief in the powers of telepathy. It's also said that Netta had a deep interest in fairies. It's not clear why Netta made this journey, however, but she did pack enough clothing that would stand to reason she was going to be staying there for an extended amount of time. When she arrived, she found lodging with a woman named Mrs. McRae, who had a tendency to take in visitors who were staying on the island. The two obviously made an unusual pair, one a humble islander and the other an occult practitioner. But weirdly enough, a friendship developed between the two. Netta's time was spent wandering the island during the day, alone, and practicing her supernatural rituals at night. For many weeks, the arrangement Netta had made with Mrs. McRae went off without a hitch. But something changed when summer fell into fall. The first thing noticed was a cryptic message Netta sent to her housekeeper back in London. The message said she would not be able to be reached for a while due to her needing to deal with, quote, a terrible case of healing, unquote, or end quote. Strange Behaviors and Signs Netta's strange behavior continued to accelerate until the morning of November 17th. Mrs. McRae woke up to Netta's frenzied packing. She told the landlady that she needed to return to London immediately due to several individuals were attacking her telepathically. Mrs. McRae was skeptical, of course. 
and didn't see anything out of the ordinary in Netta's appearance. Then she noticed that the silver necklace that Netta wore around her neck changed from silver to black overnight. That's really strange. Mrs. McRae explained to Netta that she couldn't travel because the boat to the mainland didn't run on Sundays. This caused Netta to become enraged, and she went back to her room. Several hours later, Netta emerged and appeared calmer. She told the landlady that she had changed her mind and would continue her stay on the island. She then left to go out on her usual walk. Mrs. McRae was used to Netta going off on these walks. She did it very often. So that wasn't unusual, to say the least. And she didn't become alarmed that she hadn't returned that afternoon. Because she usually, when she did go on these walks, she was gone for quite a long time. However, as the day turned to night, the lean lady began to suspect that something was wrong. Even though Iona is a small island, it took two days to locate Netta's body. When she was found, the site looked very strange. A cross had been cut into the ground with a dagger that was found nearby, and Netta was laying on top of the cross, and she was only wearing a thin black cloak. Examination without errors. The doctor who examined the body estimated her time of death between the 17th and the 19th when her body was found, obviously. He did, however, have a difficult time determining what caused her death. He settled on either exposure to the elements or heart failure, neither of which could explain the scratches found on the bottoms of her, of her feet. So the question was, could she have been running from something? That, unfortunately, was never answered. The doctor believed this could very well be a situation where a young woman, unaware of how dangerous the effects of high winds and freezing temperatures can be on a small island, became lost and confused during the night on an island um, isolated from everything else. However, her fellow practitioners believed that she was killed by psychic telepathic attack generated by someone from many miles away. So that was the story of um, Netta Fenario. Um, it was a very short story, but I, I just thought it was interesting. Um, especially, you know, for the times, because this was a uh, this was a long time ago that this happened, and you know they don't have the types of technology and stuff that they do nowadays. But I just thought it was interesting and thought I'd share. Um, the next one is uh, about Dorothy Arnold, and she disappeared with uh, out of trace. So this one is actually it, it's more familiar. To some of you, and and I actually I've heard about it, uh, and I found this one interesting also. So again, I thought I'd share. Dorothy Arnold lived a life of luxury in New York City. Her father was a wealthy perfume importer, importer, and her family descended from the original Mayflower passengers. Wow! So they go way back. She was a student of literature, and she spent most of her time writing in the hopes of someday being published. Her family, on the other hand, thought that that was absurd and amusing, that someone of her station would want to do such a thing. That's pretty presumptuous, if you ask me, and pretty, you know, narcissistic or conceited that you would want to turn your child's dream into uh, laughter. I personally, you know, you, you try to foster what your child's dreams are 
to nourish it and, you know, all that good stuff. But I guess, you know, the wealthy, they have different standards and whatnot. So for them, her being an author just wasn't uh, in the cards. On December 12th, 1910, Dorothy was out. And after a pleasant encounter with someone she knew while shopping on Fifth Avenue, she vanished without a trace after that encounter. Dorothy has with her between $25 to $30, which for the time was a great deal of money. She planned to buy a new dress for her younger sister's upcoming debutante party. She never made it to any dress shop. In fact, after her goodbyes were said to a friend on 27th Street, no one knows what happened to her. Her friend said she had planned to take a shortcut through Central Park on her way home. But dinner time came and went, and Dorothy didn't show. Her parents, Frances and Mary, became very concerned because Dorothy never missed family dinners without first letting someone know where she was. After calling around to several of Dorothy's friends and no one having seen her, the Arnolds grew concerned, very concerned. Due to keeping up appearances, the Arnolds wished to maintain composure and propriety. They kept Dorothy's disappearance from anyone outside of their circle. When one of Dorothy's friends called on December 13th, her mother Mary, in fact, lied to them and said that she had returned, but she was in bed with a headache. Unfortunately for the time, this type of behavior was uh, not uncommon. Um, the families of the wealth would rather maintain their appearances than show any kind of vulnerability. And I would imagine having a missing child would cause them to appear very vulnerable. Personally, I could give two craps about what people think about me. But having never been wealthy like that or being brought up as they were, I can say what I would do, but until you're faced with it, you never know for sure. On the down low, though, the family did hire private uh, Pinkerton detectives, and they worked tire tirelessly to find Dorothy. Over the next several weeks, nothing came up to be reliable, and the private investigators pushed for the Arnolds to contact the police. Reluctantly, the Arnolds did do that. And they filed a missing persons report with the police in mid-January 1911. Later in the month, the police instructed Francis Arnold to hold a press conference at his home. And this took the case to a whole other level and became media gold. Theories about the case started to stir. The PIs found transatlantic brochures in Dorothy's room on the day after she went missing. One theory was that she had eloped and moved to Europe. A summer fleeing with George Grishkom Jr. cooperated this story, but soon it fell apart because he was also looking for Dorothy. Weeks passed and new theories started to surface, each less plausible than the last, such as her having an abortion and dying from the procedure in her burial or crema cremation being kept secret by the underground clinic. This later gained credence in 1916 when a doctor of an abortion clinic's office was raided in Pennsylvania and told the police that yes, Dorothy had died in his care. Her father Francis dismissed it though 
and stated that the claim was nonsense. Others maintained that she was murdered, which is probably the more likely scenario, but no one could come up with a valid reason as to why or offer any clues as to where her body may be located. Still more claims were that she had slipped and fallen on the ice, hitting her head, causing amnesia. Not likely, but it is possible. People do get amnesia from severe uh, trauma to the head. But again, nothing developed from that as there were no records detailing her description in any hospital. Another rumor was that Dorothy had committed suicide. And that's another very real plausible explanation. The reason given was that she was so disappointed because of uh, her stories. The uh, two stories that she had uh, put in for publication had been rejected. And if if that is the case, then, you know, that could draw or push somebody over the edge, you know, to want to commit suicide, especially if that was their lifelong dream was to be a published author. Despite all the rumors and theories, nothing was ever found pointing to Dorothy's disappearance and no leads were ever verified. In all, Francis Arnold spent about $250,000 on trying to find out what happened to his daughter. That equates to today's money as $8,029,184.21. That is a lot of money. So we can't say that he skimped on trying to locate her, that's for sure. In the end, he died not knowing where his daughter was or if she was alive at the time or dead. He did not leave her any inheritance in his will either. Mary, the mom, on the other hand, she never gave up hope. She remained hopeful until her death in 1928 and believed that she was out there somewhere. This could be because of all the sightings that were reported in the years after her daughter's disappearance. Being a mother, I can completely understand where Mary was coming from. Having never seen her daughter's body, never knowing if she was alive, I, too, would want to think that my child would still be out there somewhere if he were missing. I would want to follow every lead, regardless of how big or small. It wouldn't matter to me. It's hard to let go, especially when children are involved. I can only hope that I am never faced with what this family went through. So there you have it. The two unsolved cases of Netta Fernario and Dorothy Arnold. While they were short, sometimes the short ones are the ones that uh, have the uh, most impact because of, you know, what they are, what they entail, um, the circumstances surrounding the disappearances and whatnot. They get you thinking about, you know, hey, what happened? What could have happened? Uh, what was running through their minds at the time, you know, and all of that good stuff. Uh, so if you would like to uh, comment or have any questions, please post them to our Facebook page at the Darker Side of Things podcast. You can also email us at the Darker Side of Things one at gmail.com. Feel free to offer any suggestions you may have on how to make the podcast better and tell us your stories so we can share them with others. I'm always interested in listening to or reading other people's stories. Uh, I, I just think they're so interesting. So with that, uh, I'd like to say thank you again for listening. Have a great night. Sleep tight. And don't go down any rabbit holes. They're dark and they're deep.
拜。